0: I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 15, the gospel of Matthew chapter 15. If you're in a church, a body of believers, you've been a spiritually minded person or a religious person, however you would say that, you will realize at some point in your walk with the Lord, in your time in a church, in your spiritual life. You will come and be aware of that sometimes things just don't seem to happen. Things get quite dull and quite stale. It's not always like that, thank God, because God keeps lifting us up. And then there's those times in which nothing seems to be going on. And you feel like you're losing something, missing out on something. It might just be a time of testing and God saying, will you worship me when you feel nothing like you do a while ago when you felt something? Will you relate to me by flesh and feelings? Or will you relate to me by what you've learned and what you know? And sometimes we don't get all of that together. and We let things slide and let things happen. And sometimes our church is full of zealous people, exuberant people, and then sometimes I'm standing here over all these years, you look out and you wonder after the service, what was wrong with him? What was wrong with her? What is going on here or going on there? Because it seems like while others are enjoying something, some are just here, but they're not here. They're just existing in a spiritual atmosphere with nothing spiritual happening. It happens all the time. If you get used to it, in the church I grew up in, you get used to it, and you accept that as just the way it is. I want to talk this morning on the subject, when nothing seems to happen. Why is it sometimes that nothing seems to happen? Let's read Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. This people draweth near unto me with their mouth... And honors me with their lips. They sing the right songs. and say the right things. Give testimonies and so forth. But their heart, the Bible says, their heart is far from me. Now let me ask you a question before we read the ninth verse. If a person had the expression of religion without a heart for it, would there be some way that would indicate that this person is religious but not spiritual? I could say it that way. That they seem to have... The ability to say the right words, do this and do this and all of that. But it seems like when you hear the message, they're just sitting there. They're not really in here. Is it possible to go through the motions without a heart for it? Or is it possible to go through the motions without your heart being in it? You read in Isaiah chapter 29, something like that. You know, they speak the right words, they say the right words, but he said, but their heart is far from me. So in a situation like that, things don't really happen like God wants them to happen. Now let me read verse 8 again, thinking about what I just said. He said, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God can see the heart. Now notice verse 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now I want to share with you this morning several reasons why I think that nothing happens in churches or in a person's life. Either way, you want to look at it. Notice in our text here, he says, In vain do they worship me. I think all of you have an idea, or maybe you know that the word vain is a word which means useless, to no avail. You're doing it, but it's not doing you any good. It's vain. And he said the reason that it's vain or of no effect is because their heart's not right. So, you know, if I would examine my heart for I come this morning and give an honest evaluation of my heart, because that's what the Spirit of God and your conscience will always do. Your conscience won't lie. It bases what it tells you on what you give it. If you're misinformed, your conscience doesn't know right and wrong. But when God speaks to you what is right, your conscience will not deceive you by telling you something else until you keep violating your conscience and then it gets seared. I mean, a policeman can pull you over and you were driving 39 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone and he can say, how fast are you going? Your conscience yells at you, 39! And then there's this war within. Right and wrong. There's a battle and your mind says, now look, if I say 39 is going to cost me some money, and this is God's money, And you know, we don't want to just throw God's money away speeding. So you best not tell the truth. Now we got two cents. So you say, uh, how fast I go? I don't know. Your conscience said, yes, you do know. And sometimes we allow, listen, sometimes we allow ourselves to violate what God says, become a little bit calloused or maybe indifferent to it. And all of our expressions, in that kind of an atmosphere, with that kind of a heart, the Bible says it's vain. You might as well have stayed home because it did you no good because your heart's not right. And when you get people in church who are getting more and more used to just going through the motions of the routine or the ritual of whatever we do, uh, you don't even consider whether or not you really mean what you're singing or mean what you said amen to. It's just what we do when we come together. That's why I think a lot of times nothing happens. But not everybody that comes together is like this. Some people come in here with an idea, I'm going to take advantage of this day. This day will never come back. When this day is gone, it's gone forever. It's in the history. This is my one chance this day to gain from God what he's offering me. I want to get it. Therefore, I want my heart to be open. I want to hide his words in my heart and so forth. Because God wants to equip us, teach us, prepare us, and send us forth. But if we're not really thinking like that, we just come and sit. But there are lots of reasons, again, why I think people just come and people sit. Let's look at the first one this morning, points I want to make about why nothing happens. One is that people become dull of hearing. All of my save life, since 1968, I've been mainly interested in teaching. You know, pour it on, give me more, let me hear it. Cause me to be inquisitive. Lord, teach me in such a way that... I really do want to search the scriptures to see how much more it says, or if it says that, and if it says that, why does it say that? What am I supposed to do with it? I want to be taught like that so that it inspires me. It makes me hungry to know more about what I heard. Now, not all of us, not everybody who hears a lot or has heard a lot is like that. They did hear a lot. I remember looking back from years ago and the people that I knew then from not only I ran with, but I knew from other places. And I think many of them have just drifted away. They still probably remember a lot of things they were taught and probably are counting on that. But they've just drifted away. Some don't even go to church anymore. Some attend church when they want to. Sort of a casual thing with God. I'm counting on what I remember to get me to heaven, but, you know, my life right now today is sort of a, You know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think sometimes we've heard some things so much we get so used to it that it loses its meaning. How many of you know that you can hear the same message ten times and God can speak ten different things to you? But if you're not thinking like that, you're apt to say, I've heard that, yeah, I remember that, yeah, I've, I've heard him say that before. And that's about the limit of it. But I believe that God has never exhausted the revelation of his word to his church. I think every time a person comes to hear the word, God has something to say in a way you've never heard it said yet. But if you're not convinced of that, you become dull of hearing. Or as I just said, I think you come to the place where you just get used to it. You just ho-hum. And how many times have we heard things and, and you found yourself kind of drifting? Your mind just begins to just drift and you think, well, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you don't really think of what God is saying tonight or this morning to you. you. Turn to Hebrews 5. Let me tell you how it affects the church so that nothing happens. I believe God makes things happen through and by his word. I think the Spirit activates all of that, causing something to happen in somebody's life. Maybe not all of us, but somebody's life. I think it's God uses His Word. Now, He said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, But when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that somebody teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, things you heard when you first got saved. You've never really gotten beyond that because you didn't really want any more of that deeper stuff. You just like the simple message of the gospel, and that's as far as you want to go. And when anybody goes beyond that, you become dull of hearing. You quit listening because, ah, that's over my head. But Paul said, the time that you ought to become a teacher and explain the gospel to other people, your neighbor next door, your brother, your sister, your mother, whoever, He said, you have need that somebody teach you again over and over the first principles of the oracles of God. He said, and you have become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Is he saying that we ought to progress from milk to strong meat? Is he saying that the spirit of God who inspired the word and inspires us wants to take us from the simplicity of the gospel to the deeper things that demand a lot of mental activity? Of course he does. There's a reason why God wants us to ponder his word and search the scriptures. Ask ourselves questions. What does that mean? Why does it mean that? How am I applying that to my life? Am I even at all? Am I evaluating myself? That's what the scripture will do for you. It'll take you deeper. But if you want to set back, you want to slow down and just say, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that that's as far as you're going. I doubt that much is ever going to happen in your life. But you get used to nothing happening. You don't expect anything to happen. You just become religious. But he said, you have become such as need milk and not strong meat for everyone that uses milk, if that's as far as you go, he is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. And concerning deeper things, he says, all that theology stuff is over my head. We don't teach that kind of stuff here because, you know, people don't like that. Are you going to just feed them milk the rest of their life, preacher? you going to let them just get used to drinking a glass of milk every Sunday and then send them home? Every week, you're going to tell them how to get saved? And that's all the message you ever preach? Verse 14, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age. That's mature. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Something is happening in their life. They are becoming discerning. Their discernment has been fostered by their hunger for the deeper word and for a strong word. A strong word doesn't have to be some theological word you can't pronounce. It can just simply be the message of overcoming in all things and take you to a place where only God can give that revelation to you and deal with you there, that closet the Bible speaks of, that prayer closet, or that secret place of the Most High. I guarantee you, wherever God is, God has something to say. And wherever He is that He has something to say, you need to be still and know what He's saying. But if we don't do that as a pattern of our life, if none of that happens, well, I don't think much is going to happen in our lives. We get sluggish to hear. I know I yak about Wednesday night a lot, but a lot of times you do come here sluggish. I know you worked hard, it's been hot, you're tired, and you come in here and it's comfortable in the air conditioner, mostly works in, in the beginning and then it you know modifies out, but I know you get to sit in there and, and you know it just gets kind of, how much longer are you going to preach? I don't know if I'm going to last a lot longer. I know that. I know that. I also know that sometimes you have to arrest yourself, pull yourself over. Take yourself before you judge and say, you better listen, or I'm going to go home and put you in a cold shower. And you command yourself to listen and pay attention. Again, a Wednesday night only comes once a week, and when it comes, it's gone. It doesn't come again. That one doesn't. And so when you become sluggish, you begin to take things for granted Or you can say, well, I can hear that anywhere, and that doesn't really mean much to me. Look at verse 14. Matthew 15. Look at verse 14. He said, The blind are leaders of the blind. Did your Bible say that? Matthew 15, verse 14. Let them alone. He said, Lord, there's some that's not going with us. Talking about the Pharisees, he said, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. He didn't even say pray for them. He didn't even say, you know, we need to go and pray for those people. Let's fast and pray for those people. He said what? Now, I don't want to get off the subject here. There's a religious place that a man that God called and God wants dealt with. There's a place he can come until he no longer wants to go that way of God's way. Because if the message of faith, if that's as far as you go and all those themes that surround that, you're going to find it's very limited how many people want to hear that. So he begins to take things in his own hands. He begins to modify the word and try to make it more appealing and leave some things out and add a little bit to it. And he's become a self-serving person. But he begins, as he said, in another place, he said that uh, they become not only blind leaders of the blind, but teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Can you imagine? We'll get to that again in just a minute. But the first reason this morning, the things I don't think happen, either in your life individually, personally, in your family, or a church, is because you become dull of hearing. There's a reason God put that in the Bible. A second reason, so go along with this, is false teaching. People have been misled, misinformation. It has the appearance of truth. A false message can contain truth. You can quote the Bible, talk about Jesus a lot and quote the scripture, but what happens with falsehood is that what the truth is, they're being turned away from. And for the reason I said a while ago, because it's not popular. I mean, the hour that we're in, in religion, you know, the greatest religion is the one with the most people and the most famous preacher. You know, oh, that's where it is, and that's where it's got to be. And, well, they light it up. False teaching, as he said in our text, verse 9, teaching for doctrines. Matthew 15, what does he say in verse 9? Teaching for doctrine what? Would I get this right if I said what we're teaching as the right way is not necessarily the way God said it, but the way I say God said it? My interpretation. Would you agree? Teaching for doctrine. Doctrine is instruction or teaching. Doctrine declares God and His way, His word, His purposes, and so forth. That's doctrine. A lot of people don't like that, it's too narrow. It's a hindrance to the way you want to live and the way you want things to be. So a preacher can come along knowing that and can take what is doctrine and begin to modify it, water it down, change it a little bit, still quotes it, but changes it. So it no longer means what it says. You can say what it says, you can read what it says, but you say, well, now you have to understand that This was spoken to a different time. That can't work for today. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, there was a time that you could say that because that was a time. But today we have to understand. How many of you know that's misleading? That is right what I just said is teaching for doctrines a man's commandment. I'm misleading. I have become all pretty as a preacher in the position of a pastor A false prophet, a misleading false teacher, telling you something that you know is wrong. Now, I could be honestly wrong. I'm not trying to mislead anybody. But when I know something that God said is not what you want to hear, and I say something different about what that means, and you believe it, I have misled you. Let me show you something. Turn to Second Corinthians. Put your finger here in Matthew. Turn to Second Corinthians 11 and verse 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 and 4. But I fear, Paul writes to the Corinthians, but I fear less by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety and his cleverness and his deceit, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For, and this is what he's saying, for if he that comes preaches another Jesus. Let me ask you all a question. we we'll stop for a minute. There's only one Jesus, isn't there? And all we know about him is in the scripture. Well, how could there be another Jesus? Well, what he's saying is you take Jesus and who he was and explain that he's not really like that or that's not what he meant when he said what he said. Oh, yes, he could heal. I mean, he's the healer. He went about healing on doing this. They healed in the Old Testament. They healed in his day. But he's not doing that today. Jesus doesn't heal today. Jesus doesn't work miracles today. They've changed who he is. They've changed what the Bible says about him to where you no longer are taught to expect him to do for you what the Bible said he would do. Because some clever Person told you that he might not want to do that. Well, he could now. We know he could, but he might not want to. He might not want you well. He might want to leave you this way or leave you that way. And after all, he's he's the boss. So what happens to your faith? What do you have faith in? You can't have faith in what he just said. Why would you believe God's going to heal you if he might not want to? How would you know if you could? How would you pray for anything? God may change his mind. And he said, you have made the word of God of no effect by your traditions. You're robbing and cheating the people. The Jesus that they should be embracing and expecting to do for them what he promised he would do, they no longer are sure that he even will. They've been talked out of their faith. They've been talked out of their hope. The only thing you've got in this life is Go to heaven when you die. That's about the limit. Oh, you die, you go to heaven. Well, that's, that's, that's what a man told me after the funeral this week. He said, Well, it's good, you know, you, you live your life right and try to do good and all that, and it's over, you go to heaven. It's pretty nice, isn't it? Of course, I didn't say it, but I thought, You really think you just live good? You sound like my old high school principal. You can't just live good and right in your own terms and think that God has to accept that. We don't live our way. We live his way. You got to measure yourself by what he says, not what you think. But if I'm taught differently than that, what do I do? I don't need to do anything. You know, I try. I do the best I can. I'm going to heaven. I'm certainly not bad enough to go to hell. And I'm, you know, I'm not that bad. So who taught you that? Who told you that's true? Who gave us that kind of information that makes us think like that? Because we back all the way off from the word because we don't have to do anything now. We don't have to read, study, grow. We just, whatever you want to do. A person as good as you are certainly isn't going to hell. And there's a multitude of church people think like that because they've been mistaught. The Word of God has been broken down for them, and it no longer means what it said. But they have another Jesus. Look at verse 4. For if he that comes to you preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit. He said, boy, somebody comes along besides us, and you bear with them gladly. And when, when I come along, all you do is criticize. That's what this whole thing's about. Let me give you another one. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. That's just one book to your right. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul is writing to the Galatian church. He poured his life out for these people. He labored in the word for these people. The Galatian church at Shelbyville. The Galatian church at Galatia, excuse me. He said, I marvel." I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Can that still happen today? It would be hard to go to any Christian bookstore and not find a book against the message of faith, healing, deliverance, all that faith does they spend all those hours and all that money talking you out of your faith because behind those men is a spirit of anti-Christ. What good is it to preach this gospel if you don't believe it and if people can't receive it? All of our religion is vain. It's vanity. But we feel if we can just stay in something like this, Stay around something like this. Maybe we'll go to heaven. This can't get you to heaven. You can't get to heaven going to church. You don't go to heaven because you're nice or kind. You go to heaven because you've been born again. And you evidence your new birth by a new life. There's something new in your heart, something inspiring and wholesome and good and and something that... Makes you want to sing them over again to me. Wonderful words. Oh, I love to hear his word. Your heart will say. You don't just join church. I joined church. I don't know how many times I joined church. I've been baptized. Man, I've been sprinkled, spit on, baptized, dunked. I mean, I've I've had it done several different ways. None of that would save me. None of that will save you. You have to be born again. You have to have a change of your nature and your heart. And if the spirit in you that you got from somebody is the spirit that now drives your spiritual life and it doesn't point you to Christ, you have another gospel that has been perverted and it's perverting you. Listen to me, all of you. I know you know this, you've heard it. The world is full of falsehood. There is out there in the world in the religious Christian world, there is falsehood everywhere. There are people who are trying to be famous and popular and to make you happy and comfortable, to make you feel good about this or that without touching your sins and without touching your life. That's what happens to a false gospel. You begin to set back and you don't pay much attention. We're told that in the last days there will be people who will look for teachers after their own lust. They'll look around and church hop and find something until they find one the way they like to hear it. He said they have itching ears. He said they have turned away from the truth and turned aside unto fables or myths or made up stories entertaining things. That's what they say. This is a solemn word in 2 Timothy 3. You don't have to turn to this. 2 Timothy 3, five says, If they have a form of godliness, if they have the form, it looks right. It seems right. It has the right form, the right translation. It has all the right this, this, and that. But if they, in doing that, deny the power of it, you know what we're supposed to do? You know what we're commanded to do? With any religion that has a form but denies the power? Turn away. We don't have to be ugly and mean spirited about that. It doesn't mean we wouldn't stop to help a man get out of the ditch or put his cow back in the field. But we have nothing that we can fellowship around. I don't want much to do with anything that's going to mislead me. My most precious treasure is the word of God as God has put it in my heart. I have nothing greater than that. But my new birth took place that way. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but of what? The word of God which lives and abides forever. That's what I want to conquer and control. So a second reason that things don't happen is because people have given way to false teaching. A lot of Christians are not sure if they can believe a lot of things. Another reason is worldliness. Oh, here we go. Worldliness. Just very worldly. Turn to Matthew 13 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 13. This is a chapter with the sower and the seed. Matthew 13 and verse 22 about the sower and the seed. It tells us why, listen to me, in harmony with our title, it tells us why nothing happens. It tells us why not much is happening in your life. Why not much is going on in your life. Matthew 13 and verse 22. He said, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. He hears it. But this is the problem, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. He will not be a spiritual man. How often through the years has money changed people? There's been people, I'm sure, who were very spiritual when they were broke, had nothing easy to give, easy to share. Money did not drive them. They weren't controlled by money. A lot of things that they wished they had, they didn't labor over wishing I had, just don't have it, and someday I'll claim it. God will give me the faith for it, and I'll claim it, and I'll get it. But right now, I'm content with what I've got. And they were like that. Then one day, the things began to change, and money started coming in. And a man began to advance, his job, maybe got a better job, maybe something happened or something quickened or picked up. Next thing you know, you got some money. You got more than you've ever had. The opportunities for having more things than you've ever had, going places you've never been or doing things you haven't done, are now possible. You can give yourself a better life, whatever that is. You can give your children better things for life. And we can now begin to live on a higher level and enjoy pleasure a little bit more. I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying life, and if you have the means and you can do that, and it doesn't interfere with your personal and family relationships, I'd say enjoy it as much as your heart lets you. But a lot of times, it's harder to give when you get money because of the amount you give. When you only made $300 a week, it wasn't too hard to put a $30 bill in the offering can. A fellow once printed, counterfeiter printed some $18 bills. He had a whole bunch of $18 bills, and he asked his friend, what are we going to do with this? He said, well, go down in the mountains of Kentucky. They, don't, they wouldn't know the difference. Well, they hauled a bunch of money, $18 bills down there in the mountains. He said, can you change this $18 bill? And he said, yeah, you want two nines or three sixes. (laughs) But people can get caught up with money, success. You begin to think a little more highly of yourself in terms of how you should be more respected or appreciated. After all, you gave more. It was your money that helped build, buy, enable, and do. You begin to think like that. I don't think you try to think like that. I think it's just the way the devil tries to train you as a successful person to think. You know, you want people to know what you did. You want people to know how much you gave her. I'm just glad I had it to give. Or you like to hear your name mentioned. And it just begins to change your attitude when you were simple. I don't think it's changed much, but I remember the very simple beginnings of this church. I don't think we had much. I don't think it mattered. We never had so much money that we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't have to get together and say, we got to do something with this pile of money here. I don't think we ever had that problem, but it didn't matter if we had any or not. It's just that God is bringing us together. Isn't it fun to sing every time we come together? Isn't it fun to rejoice and lift our hands and praise the Lord? And I hope that we never get so successful that money takes us away from our church. I'd hate to think that you're an important part of this body, someone we look to and depend on. And your company offers you a job in Texas or South America for $280,000 a year instead of 50000 Because I know what you think, because money does that. About what you can get, boy. If I had that money, oh man, look where I am. Next thing you know, you begin to say, "Well, I know, but I'm a church and part of this. This is where God sent me." Yeah, but man, there's churches everywhere. I mean, come on, you can't get this kind of money everywhere. And you begin to go back and forth. Now, listen, the Bible says, just as an illustration, the cares of this world—that's the worry, the anxiety, the stress of this world—and the deceitfulness of money. Money promises you a lot of things it pays you off in counterfeit money when you get there. It never turns out to be what you thought it would be. I was thinking at the funeral the other day of how many people, are you thinking about the word gold? I wonder how many people, educated people, successful people, a lot of money, fame, looked up to, emulated, admired, Driving the best, go to the best places, voted, name in the paper, highly respected, pretty children, athletic. They can't get along with each other, frustrated, they're mad, upset all the time. They have to go to the bottle to make it through and look for parties where they can... You know, I thought, there's nothing gold about that kind of life. That money didn't make him people anything but miserable. How could they sit and hear that they should, as a rich young ruler, give it to the poor and come follow me? They could never do that, even as he couldn't. Money does that to you. The deceitfulness of riches, it makes you think falsely you're not thinking what god gives you to think you're thinking in a false way because of what money does to you fourth thing that happens when nothing is happening is because you're backslidden cause you're backslidden how would you describe or define backslidden simply is a withdrawal from one's surrender to God. That's yep, pretty broad. Listen to it again. To be backslidden is to withdraw, back up, for whatever reason. Is to back away from this total commitment or full surrender to God. Doesn't mean you quit. Backsliders don't just always quit. They often still attend church. It's just that they have pulled back. They're not as committed, not as dedicated. They're not what they thought they were. Because years ago they said, but it looks like down the road they weren't quite that. They've given in, given up something. They begin to backslide. I'll tell you something else about backsliders. They begin to make, make excuses. They become opinionated. Well, I don't think you have to do that. Do you have to go here? Do you have to do that? Do you have to? Man likes to argue with God about what he has to do. He likes to have it God's approval, but he also likes to do things his own way. So he sometimes draws back. Still goes to church. I'm not saying that. He didn't quit believing. Whatever that means to him or her. Just back away from it. That hand of that plow either loosening up or about to let go. It's a choice you make. But it's about to happen. It's about to go like that. God said this about his people. In Hosea 11, he said, my people are bent to backsliding. And you read the history in the Old Testament of God's people, how he redeemed them and loved them and taught them. And they turned away from that to the idols. He brought judgment. He brought them back. They turned away again. Read the book of Judges. And then he brings them back again. They leave again. He brings them back again. They leave again. Finally, he said, I'm going to scatter you all over the world. And he did. They were scattered until 1948. You know that? I don't want to get talking about that because I'm about half Israeli anymore. Anyway, anyway, laying that aside. God shows us that he said his people are bent. That is, they are determined to backslide. Because, listen to me, because they think, what they've been setting in and who they've been talking to and their evaluation of religion and God and their opinions and philosophy and all, they think they're all right and they can do that. It's not going to keep them from heaven. Therefore, it's okay. So they just back away from the word and they draw back. Go back to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. and Look at verse 11. But they refused to hearken, to listen, pay attention. Why? See, that's how I study. When I read it, I think, why did they do that? Why? He said, they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears. that They should not hear. There are people like that too. They're like that. Yea, verse 12, they made their hearts hard like an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord hath given to them, and so forth. Now you notice it says here, they hardened their heart. Does your Bible say that? Yes. Doesn't say God hardened their hearts. It said they hardened their hearts. In verse 13 he says, It came to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so shall they cry and I will not hear, saith the Lord. That's how bad backsliding is. That's how bad it can get. That's the danger of it. Just backing away, backing off, giving yourself liberties that you shouldn't. People get upset because of the message of debt, getting out of debt owing no man anything, or holidays, or talking about dead religion. I've had more than one people in the last 10 years say, do we have to talk about other religions? And I'm not singling out any particular religion, not always. All I'm saying is, if they speak not... According to this word, they have no light. If they insist on doing that because that's the way we are, that's the way we do it, then they are, as our text said, they are like blind people leading the blind. And they're going to fall in a ditch. You don't need to fall in a ditch before heaven, trust me. You need to be cautious and, and circumspect and pay attention. For the devil does go about like a roaring lion looking for that person that he can devour. He can mislead and distort or twist the scriptures. Let me read a verse for you from the Gospel of John. Early in the Gospel of John, Jesus said these words in, in chapter 3 and verse 20. Allow me. I know you will. He said, for everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be approved. That's why he doesn't want to go to church sometimes, because he do not want him to be told he's wrong. He knows he's wrong his heart, tells him. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. That's what light does. That's what keeps a man from backsliding. As God continually leans on our life, he never gives us days off from convicting us of something or reminding us of what we believe. That's the work of the Spirit. This is what he said. And backsliding is simply a withdrawal from your total surrender to Christ. Another one, our fifth one, that I want to say is a reason that n- nothing happens. And this does happen. It's happened a few times in my life. is because a person or people, and sometimes a church, is unteachable. They don't want to hear it. I find this true, especially with self-taught people. People who have no formal education but think they know more because they did it the old-fashioned hard way by just setting up late and listening to the tape and taking notes. I did that, I think, in my own life. And I think if you're not careful, you can get proud of the fact that at least you think you know more than everybody else. I, surely I don't. I mean, I know who I am. I've flubbed up enough in my life to know better than that. I do think with all of us that the more we're taught, the more information that we have, the more discerning we become. And sometimes your discerner shows you that something is wrong or what somebody said is not right. And sometimes it is our duty with light that we have that God has given us to correct people that are wrong. But you can't correct everybody. Are we not to teach each other? Do we not have a word that should cause us to see the difference between right and wrong, day and night? It should. Should we not avoid darkness? We may be around it. We're not hateful in in our attitude about it, but we have something to say about it. We live in a time, we live in an age, this hour that we're in now, this politically correct age, you're not supposed to tell anybody what's wrong about anything. Especially religion, because there is a prevailing attitude in the world that as long as you're sincere and you mean it with all your heart, you're all right. Uh, Presbyterian have no right to correct a the Baptist. They used to be in the same boat anyway years ago and they all had it right. Tell a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Christian church or a Pentecost, we're not supposed to. And yet the Bible tells us that if we have the truth and we're around people, and they say something that's not right, you pray for wisdom on how to address that. I've had people say to me, I mean, just one time a man said, have you considered? He didn't say, where'd you learn? Uh, that?" he said, have you considered the Bible says and such? I remember a truck driver, just a common truck driver. His name was Vernon. Vernon's gone now. But I was teaching my greater than thou knowledge one night in the Christian church declaring that nowhere in the Bible does it say that a woman has to love her husband. Kind of felt, how about that? You didn't know I knew all that, did you? Ain't I something? And after it's over, here comes this truck driver. Vernon. You know, what could a truck driver know? That was my attitude. Now i learned they can know a whole lot. I'll tell you why. He came up, his own. he said, Brother Tom, thank you for the word. Say, said, hey, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't think I ever really said it that way, but I'm making a point. He said, you ever read over there in the Bible where the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands? You know, you said something about not loving, you know, those. Well, you know, it does say that older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands see, they didn't always get to marry who they wanted. Their mom and dad went and got them a husband. And sometimes that might have been a tough love. In my mind, I thought, I didn't know that. I said, Vernon? I said, I've never seen that. I've never thought of that. I said, how would you come to that? He said, I heard it on tape. He drives a truck. I think he said so far that year he had listened to the Bible on tape 11 times. That's all he listened to, cassette tape. He said, and in the beginning was the word. He'd just drive him down the road hour after hour listening to God. Well, I do think you pick up a few things along the way. He did. And corrected Mr. Mighty. You know, he just said, this is... Over the years, through the years, you run into some people. I remember one time I was complaining over the phone. Yeah, I'm barely saved. I was crying about something. This had me a little cry over the phone. And this fellow sounded like he might sympathize with me a little bit. <laughs> and I was sharing with him about some things and, and this and that. He had invited me to speak as a full gospel businessman. I was supposed to come and tell him how mighty God is. I was talking to him on, 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 the, on, the, on the phone. And he said, brother, let me just gently urge you to overcome. <laughs> and that was my message last week somewhere. All I'm saying is I am glad in my life there have been many people I've run into that had a kind and gentle way of correcting me that I could receive it because there's a lot of people that can't receive it. If you don't speak what they said, you're out. I spoke at a Pentecostal camp, a youth meeting was 1970. That was a long time ago. They asked me to speak at this Pentecostal conference down uh, south of London, somewhere back in the boondocks. I'd never been around that kind of worship ever. You know, you came into Christian church, it was in your seat at attention and the songbook and told you what hymns, what songs, not there. Man, they got as rowdy and loud and they were dancing and buns came loose from their hair and they were yelling and running and yelling and carrying on. And I went up and I taught and they listened. I did my thing. I talked about faith, and I could tell they had never heard much about it, but I also could tell some of the older ones were just kind of dropped their head. One of them came up after it was over. The meeting was over. He was getting ready to go home. He said, when are you going to come out of Babylon, boy? Now, see, I knew what that meant. You know, the anti-church was Babylon. I knew what he meant. And I said, you mean the Christian church? He said, yeah, and I knew I was getting ready to go home, and the car was there. The road was just ahead, so it was a pretty easy escape I think I was bolder when I was younger than I am now, but I said to him, I'd rather be in what I'm in than what you're in. I'd rather have it the way the Christian church does it than the way you all are doing it. Because I didn't say all of it because I thought at least you can teach them. We're all hungry to be taught. You all think you've got it all. You think you know it all. The self-taught person who's listened to all of his tapes and cataloged and memorized and and knows more than everybody, he can't receive from anybody because they left out something. He knows more about a point than they didn't, you know, he just knows more. Smarter than. You can't teach them. They don't have much to say. But here's what it does say about people that are unteachable. They didn't come here to learn. They come here just as an exercise. Bible says, he that shutteth up his ears from the truth. In Proverbs 28, he that shutteth up his ears from the truth, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Can you imagine an earnest prayer being an abomination? Who's that for? The person who doesn't want to hear the word. Doesn't want to hear it. That's why things don't happen. In Romans 1, it says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You're not going to teach me. You haven't been to school, how can you teach me? You haven't listened to so-and-so's tapes, how can you teach me? You have nothing to say to me? Let me tell you something, folks. Even our children can teach us. Out of the mouth of babes can come some profound nugget of truth that you in all your studies had never discovered. You can never shut yourself down from learning what God has to say. Amen. And finally, the reason that nothing happens is because people are lost. They're lost. They've never been saved. They've been to church all their life. They've been told they're okay. Told how good they are. Told how much God loves them. And they're good. They're good and they're loved. What more do they need? And they can't comprehend. Just like a natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. So it goes back to that other verse. You water it all down. You make the lost feel comfortable. You don't want to talk about his sins. He might not come back. That wouldn't be love. So you begin to water everything down, make them comfortable, quit talking about those sensitive things in the gospel, leave things alone. We just don't want you to be upset with our message. We want you to feel good about yourself, even in your sins, in your sinful state. You're all right when actually you're not. Because if you died today, and as soon as you died, there was the messenger of heaven. And he said, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? That you were good? No man is good that you tried hard, trying hard doesn't save you. Well, I believed in Jesus. So does the devil. Well, how are we going to get in heaven then? You've got to believe that not only what he did, he did it for you and that because you were picked out, he gave you Repentance, and you turned away from your sins, he forgave you of all your sins, put a new heart and a new spirit in you, and you begin to live with revelation on his terms. There's no other way to get there. All your religious goodness won't make it. And a lost man has to be told at some point, even in a church, that you're lost. That's why I say to all you young preachers, my young preachers, one of your messages has to be on the new birth. You must be born again. you got to master that one. Because nothing is going to happen unless they get there first. And in closing, finally, in closing this morning, I want you to turn to Psalms 32. In verse 8. You want something to happen? You want God to lead you? You want to know what you're supposed to do in life? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have had to turn to this many times in my office and point to the little card on my filing cabinet that says this. This is where I have to come. He says, and I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. And one translation says, and I will counsel you my eye shall be on you. I need that more than anything else I can think of right now. Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. Inspire me and urge me and and lift me up and move me and convict me of my sins and bring me so that I please you. And when my day comes to go, I can hear the Lord say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. If we don't hear that, man, we wasted a lot of time, didn't we? Let's pray that something will happen with everybody in here, that everybody in here will have a personal desire to be moved upon and used of God in any way he wants. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray that each one of us here this morning will sense not only your presence in our life, but will also see our need to have you guide us and instruct us and teach us and to lead us in a righteous way. Lord, if there's any flaws in our hearts, if there's any hard spots, any bad places, anything that's Not as it should be, I ask you in Jesus' name to remove it from us. These are your people. They're not mine, they're yours, Lord. I ask you to make them the way you want them to be because only you can. And we ask you to continue to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Praise the name of Jesus, praise the name of